Now the Buckeyes have to face sister Jean and the Ramblers in the first round of the NCAA tournament. What could possibly go wrong? Let's talk about that <laughs> and more in this episode of the 11 Dubcast. I'm Andy Vance joined by my partner in crime, the man with the plan, the professor himself, Johnny Ginner. Johnny, you know, gosh, where to start with Ohio state basketball? It, you know, as we talked a week ago, you and I, I think have both reached the point where excuse making can only take you so far. The postseason has not been uh, coach Holtman's strong suit throughout his career. We're going to talk about that more a little bit later on, but let's get down to brass tacks. The Buckeyes roll into their first game of the big 10 tournament. And really it felt like we had seen this movie before. what I say? what I say? <laughs> what I say? What did I say? last week i was i was really optimistic and hopeful because that's who i am as a human being and i don't be that way don't be optimistic be just miserable and pessimistic for the rest of your life now you know you you know called it you called it you called it uh yeah but i mean this was really this is the blueprint for how things have been going for this team right yeah strong opening woeful end of the game yeah uh I don't know what else you can say about it at this point, other than it, it is what it is. And man, it, 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 it is painful to watch sometimes. It's really bad. And the thing is, is like, it's, it'd be one thing. I think if they look terrible all the time and you're like, Oh, okay, well, I guess Zed and, and Kyle are, are just that important. And then they just can't win without them, but that's not the case. They've, they've got two incredibly good players who could on most teams, you would think, um, you know, be enough to win them most games over most teams, including Penn State. Uh, but that's just apparently not the case with Ohio State. And so I, I just, again, you know, we could have the same conversation we had last week. To me, it just completely goes back to coaching and particularly coaching at the end of the season and in March. And neither of those things have been up to snuff under Chris Holtman. So, I, I mean, we can get into this matchup with Loyola, but I just, man, it is frustrating to watch. I want to talk a little bit about some uh, work you did this week looking at, at Chris Holtman. And I don't want to turn, you know, a second episode in a row into a dump on Holtman fest, uh, sure. because I do think you said something a moment ago that I think bears repeating that, you know, you have in the tournament game versus Penn state, you're missing the services of Zed key and, and Kyle young. We were talking not too many episodes ago that Kyle Young really had emerged as the team's third scorer mm-hmm. uh, and, and, you know, later down the stretch pretty consistently. So, and I think, you know, last season's NCAA tournament was kind of proof positive. Kyle Young is a really important part of this team. Yeah. And, and so if you're, you know, not to be a Holtman apologist or, or, or make excuses, but if you look at the team when it was fully loaded, so to speak, say against Duke, as an example, mm-hmm. pretty good ball club without, Kyle Young and Zed Key, and you're asking guys like Joey Brunk and 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 TikTok Sotos uh, to carry meaningful minutes. Those guys were never exposed to be carrying meaningful minutes on this team, right? So yeah, I mean, but there, there's a, what does there, it say that a, you right? I don't know what you're saying though, but like, what does it say that you lose two guys and then your team just completely becomes non-functional like that? And that's what they looked like in the second half against Penn State. I mean, they didn't look like they had they were capable of beating any team. Um, and I just, it, it cannot, they should not be able to fall apart like that in that situation. 
and I, I again i know you're missing two key components but man i just i don't there's got to be more to it than that like you can't go from being a team capable of beating a really good team in duke and then like i can't even beat penn state because we lost two guys like that just it does not to me that doesn't compute that doesn't work I, I struggle with it because, you know, and, and I'm trying to sit here and, and you know, I, I guess I want to be fair, <laughs> you know, the, that optimistic no. part of me that you were lambasting Don't be earlier. Fair. You know, I want to be fair about it. And like you had, you know, Justice Suing should be on the bench for these guys. Seth Town should be on the bench for these guys. You know, those are two guys you haven't had all season yeah. uh, that you were supposed to. Hell, we could go back and say Dwayne Washington Jr. should be on the bench for these guys, right? Because a year ago, how many of us were expecting Dwayne to be playing in the league right now? Right. I mean, well, in all seriousness, he was clearly, sure. but, but that, that's a storyline that, you know, you kind of, it's, it's interesting the way this roster has come together. Um, and, but that's, and I, but, but that's I was, also on Holtman too, though, man, like that's the other thing. About well, some this. of it is, some of it is, I, I don't know that you can control, you know, Dwayne actually getting himself playing into a two-way contract. You know, I, I don't know that you could have foreseen that per se. I don't know that you foresee just assuming being out for the year, you know, that sort of those kind of things. I, I don't know that you can, but, yeah. but it is fair to say, okay, why do you have guys on the roster that you can't count on to put in meaningful minutes? Like we're, we're right. just saying, oh my gosh, you know, you shouldn't be relying on Brunk. You shouldn't be relying on soda. Yeah, you shouldn't exactly. be relying then on, why is he on the team. <laughs> it, it, that's, that's the challenge, right? Because it's not like when you're looking at Ohio state football and if quarterback one, a <laughs> his Braxton Miller gets, leveled that you've got two other backups behind him who are equally serviceable right well you don't have that me, you don't have that in basketball in other words no but to me this was the same issue that we had with thad motto which is that okay you've got this core right of five guys that are pretty good and then nothing behind them and absolutely nothing behind them and that's not a way to construct a basketball team that i'm sorry and here's the other thing though yes they you know holtman had to deal with injuries and all that kind of stuff he's also been the beneficiary of a couple guys coming out of nowhere right yeah. people didn't expect to play as well as they did to really bolster his rosters in the first place which again like it's not <laughs> you're gonna have to deal with this kind of thing both good and bad you know in terms of roster management and all that kind of stuff there are teams in the Big Ten that don't have the highest level of talent that Ohio State does, but are much better teams because top to bottom, their team is much more cohesive and has more talent overall. That's how you, like, if you look at some of these other teams, like, I know you've got these big-time players at Purdue and, and other places and whatnot, but top to bottom, the roster is just better. It, it just is. It's just better right? They can pull guys off the bench and, and they can contribute and give you valuable minutes and score, you know, 10, 12 points a game. You can't, you don't have that at Ohio state. So while I understand that, like, you know, you, you're dealing with Seth Towns, which by the way, that's not news, right? You, no, no, you've right, had, right, right, right. You've had yep. a long time to deal with that. Yep. Um, you know, Dwayne Washington leaving cool, but there's a transfer, you know, market for a reason. Um, I'm just saying, man, it, it just doesn't feel like, all the pieces are there and I, I i have run out of patience i guess with holtman when it comes to you know well that's basketball and that's what uh, no that doesn't happen to every team it actually doesn't and some teams are good enough to where, where that doesn't happen to them and that should be the standard at ohio state i think the thing that just really blows my mind is that this team beats illinois 
and and two weeks later gets you know swamped right. by Penn yeah. State. Right. This team, you know, beats. Uh, <laughs> we 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 could say this team beats Illinois, and a week later gets thumped by Nebraska. You know, th- mm-hmm. those are things that kind of that sort of floor me about this team. That you can you can have those re- really incredible moments, and then totally incredible moments on the opposite end of the spectrum in a relatively truncated period of time. What what I think is really frustrating is just what we what we had said a, a week ago that it felt like you know you're you've seen the movie already. Last year it was what a four game skid into the tournament this this year's three out of four uh final games he's <laughs> getting into the mm-hmm. tournament so you know that part of it's is is super frustrating and the inability to close games uh the the, the number of blown leads i, I want to say i had looked up at one point 20 percent of this team's games were were ones where they had blown a double digit lead yeah that's <laughs> cool one in five of your games you've blown a 20 to 20 a a two digit lead you've blown blown at least a 10 point lead in in one out of five of your games like that that part gets crazy to me so you you actually took a look at this this week for a piece you wrote at 11 warriors.com a site Mm -hmm. i highly encourage friends to listen to 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 read rather uh, in addition to listening to us uh and you actually look back at chris holtman in march his entire career, not just his five years at Ohio State. Right. Going um, back to, you know, all the way back in the Sun Belt. The Damn, returns, I have no idea. <laughs> whatever whatever it's called. The returns aren't great. No, they're not. No, he's he's always struggled both in conference tournaments and in uh, the NCAAs. And and by struggle, I mean, it is relative, right? Like, well, you're in the, in the NCAAs, right? Well, that's, that's cool. But again, at Ohio State, what's the standard? You know, you want to actually win a few of those games. Uh, he's 11 and 17 um, in his 28 NCAA slash conference tournament games. Uh, six of those losses were against lower seeded teams. And four of those were uh, four of those losses against lower seeded teams uh, were in the first round of conference tournaments, which is kind of that that blows my mind. Actually, that's insane. Um, <laughs> which we just saw one of those, right? Yeah, we just did. And it's incredibly frustrating. You're like, huh? That shouldn't happen. Well, that, that's the same kind of deal here. Um, and, you know, he's made it past the second round of the NCAA tournament once, and he's made it past uh, – or he's won more than one game in a, a conference tournament also once, and that did not happen in the same season. So, you know, I think this – I don't know that this is necessarily news to Ohio State fans. I, I, <laughs> I wrote this article kind of thinking like, you know, people are going to kind of go, yeah, we know it's bad or whatever, and it got – as of as of this recording, it has about two hundred and forty three comments uh, on the uh, on the old website, and people are just mad. They're pissed. It's not like I wrote some great, incredibly you know brilliant uh, treatise on uh, a, a treatise on uh, you know Chris Holtman's abilities as a March coach. It's just that people are really fed up with it. I think I think they're just done, and um, you know you've got to produce. And look, Ohio State, they're playing Loyola, right? They got to take on 102-year-old sister Jean and all the mojo that comes with that. And I, I think, you know, without this incredible, you know, miasma hanging over the, the team, this, this cloud of just darkness, this funk, I would be pretty optimistic about it. I'm like, all right, well, you know, Loyola's a pretty good team, but Ohio State, they've got the offensive firepower to probably, you know, maybe – 
do some things that Loyola hasn't seen this season, but I don't have that confidence exactly because of what we just saw against Penn state. And that's what's maybe the most frustrating part about all of this is that I should be optimistic at this point in the year, right? I should be looking at a team with Malachi Branham and EJ Liddell and Zed key and hopefully Kyle young and go, wow, that's a really solid core. They might make a run. They might get to the sweet 16 or the elite eight, but I have zero faith in that happening. Absolutely zero faith in that happening. I think they're going to get bounced in the first round because of what I've seen the past few weeks. And again, that's not a place where I want to be as a fan. That, 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 that to me is just unacceptable. It'd be one thing if, like I said, they were just getting blown out and I didn't think they have the talent at all, but that's not the case. They do have the talent. It's yeah. just not showing up on the court. I saw this stat floating around earlier today. I thought it was interesting. Um, when you look at the numbers you just did, uh, his, his record in March, in essence, um, you know, at, at uh, his winning percentage in non-postseason games, it's like 640. Pretty good. Mm-hmm. Pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. His, his postseason winning percentage is like, or his March, we'll say, I think this is his March winning percentage, 429. <laughs> not not good you know not, not 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 good not i would good. say bad now let's let's put this out on the table um if you are listening to this and thinking well guys you've made a case that the man should be on the hot seat let me disabuse you of that notion right away uh the the man himself mean gene smith one of the if not the top athletic director in the country tweeted on monday retweeting an article um that actually talked about and i thought this was uh, an interesting point doug uh, lamarisis with cleveland.com writing that uh holtman has done something that only eight other schools have done in this time frame with making five um ncaa tournaments out of the last five tries Mm -hmm. um apparently there were only eight schools that did that in that time which i thought okay that's certainly very interesting mean gene retweeted that and and among his other comments said our program and the men in it are in great hands with chris chris holtman so that that far from the dreaded vote of confidence uh the way it was stated said to me that gene smith wanted everybody to get the picture that he is not in any way, shape, or form considering making a regime change at this point in his life, yeah. that Chris Holtman is not, in fact, on the hot seat at this stage. Do you, do you think that's accurate? Is this, is this a deal where, you know, uh, another early round b- exit here from the NCAA tournament makes it next year make or break, or, or does Holtman have another couple of years regardless? I, I think it depends on what the team looks like during the season. Um, I think for Gene, uh, you know, a win over a marquee opponent like Kentucky or Duke or whoever goes a long way. And, and you know, because really what you want is you want to keep up the prestige of the Ohio State brand. Um, when, you know, and obviously that's always going to be there with football. With basketball, you want them to be at least in the conversation. I don't know, though. I, I think if Ohio State comes out and they don't look very good next season, and they're losing, you know, they're going to be losing some dudes. Um, and let's say they struggle their middle of the pack and they let's say they fail to make the NCAA tournament. I don't know, man. I, 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 I would be on the fire Holtman train at that point. I, I mean, I already basically think that's the ultimatum that he should be given. Like you need to produce now. Um, but I don't know. I, I think it will change. I think it will evolve as the off season goes on as the, you know, the next season goes on. And um, I think a lot can change between now and, and, you know, March of 2023. So I, he's saying all the right things right now, because look, you're, you're still trying to 
to make things right and to, you know, hope your coach will turn around and you don't want to, especially before the NCAA tournament, you know, kneecap the dude. But um, I don't know. I, I think, like I said, I just think a lot can change in, in this, you know, in the next 12 months. So we'll see what he's saying maybe in next January, next February. Um, if the team doesn't look like they're showing any improvement or, you know, regressing a little bit, especially with the young team that they're going to have. Yeah. It's really interesting. I, another internet sourced data point. I was, I was seeing this on Twitter. Uh, if you compare Holtman to his predecessors. So by year five, Holtman has, has at this stage, zero big 10 championships, zero sweet 16s. Mm-hmm. Thad Mata by year five, two big 10 championships, one final four. Jim O'Brien by year five, two big 10 championships, one final four. Randy Ayers by year five, two big 10 championships, two sweet 16s. I mean, I I, I mean, I I realize we make this excuse all the time that Ohio State basketball ain't Duke, it ain't Kentucky, it ain't North Carolina, it ain't Kansas, it ain't Arizona. But when I look at those stats, you know, there's there's three guys in a row who did okay. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I realize people aren't going to, you know, love on Jim O'Brien because how, how he left things, but dude won some games. Uh, Mata, we know how good he was. He, he reset the standard. Uh, Randy Ayers, you know, like those guys did okay in their first five years here. Right. And right now you've got five tournament appearances. That's not nothing, you know, get making the dances half the battle as Holtman said this week in his press conference, but you know, I think you've got to win some of those games. So let's talk about that game. How excited were you when the reveal <laughs> show happened and you find out that it's Sister Jean and the Ramblers of Loyola Chicago? Very excited for that matchup. I'm I'm just betting. I think it's fun. I mean, it, honestly, like I, I, I again, I, I have no confidence. It's a very fun the, matchup. But. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I have no confidence in the actual team, but I, I do think that, uh, you know, there's at least a little bit of juice there um in a first round matchup that you don't normally have because it's not okay well you're gonna get you're gonna lose to a a, you know a 15 seed or something like that and you just feel miserable even if you win you're like picking apart what the win looked like whatever this is one of those games where it's going to be a lot more engaging to watch and and to kind of experience i think so you know i'm i'm actually okay with it and if if they pull out the win and things look reasonably good, then I think you feel a little bit better about the team going forward. Oh, maybe they'll win another game because that would feel like a semi-quality win, uh, maybe a a slightly a ship-riding win, whatever. But if they were a much higher seed and they kind of eke out a victory against a a really low seed, I don't know that that makes you feel any better about the team. Um, So there's an opportunity here, I think, to rewrite the narrative a little bit and uh i don't know that just makes it more interesting for me that makes it more uh urgent i guess if that makes any sense well i think so I, i'm it, cool with it if, if they win it it's a really good win yeah. um you know they're ken palm number 24 ohio state is ken palm number 32 they're not you know they're not dog meat um by the ken no. palm stats now granted you know the difference between how they looked in march versus how they looked the rest of the season uh it's funny because if you've ever been on ken palm you know, the way his little schedule for any given opponent lines up, you know, you have green and red lines um, on each line of the schedule. And it's like, mm-hmm. there's a whole lot of green up through mid-February. <laughs> and then after that, it's like, God, there's a lot of red there. Uh, looking at that particular matchup, Ken Palm gives uh, Ohio State a 46% chance to win, but his projected score, 69-68. So it's going to be 
nip and tuck. I think the matchup's really interesting. There isn't a lot of size with Loyola. They're not a big team, no. but Ohio State's really struggled with guard play lately. So yeah. <laughs> there again, maybe not an ideal matchup. It's a team that Ohio State should absolutely be able to beat. The question to me is if Zed Key and, and Kyle Young are able to play, and if so, like how ready to go are they? Right. And that's, that's the, you know, $10 million question. Cause I don't, you know, I don't know. <laughs> and, and we'll, I guess it, it might be one of those game time things. I guess we'll just, we'll have to wait and see and hope that it, it pans out. But um, yeah, it, the thing is, you know, March madness is fun just in general, right? Like I enjoy, I enjoy this whole atmosphere. I, I it's in theory kind of cool and fun that you've got Michigan in the same, overall region as uh as ohio state that that's a potential for some you know cool stuff i don't think either team will get anywhere close to playing each other but you know it, it's kind of fun to think about um i don't know it, it is it is better to be in the tournament than not in the tournament i will i will 100 agree with that uh because we do get to kind of have that that fun inertia leading up to it and i used to actually not be a big fan of the the first four i thought that was kind of stupid but uh, i kind of like it now i kind of like the idea behind it because it, it just kind of i don't know it's a nice little prelude to uh, everything else that's going to come so as as pessimistic as i am and i am very pessimistic and and kind of down on this team um i'm still pretty excited for the actual game and maybe more so like i said than i would have been if it were like you know ohio state playing some scrub team that they were expected to beat by 20 the uh the, the bracket's an interesting one you you mentioned michigan being in that same bracket uh i, I also think it's really interesting the matchup with villanova you know if they get past Loyola, yeah. the matchup with villanova um could be a really interesting ball game too i, I don't think that's a horrible matchup for ohio state as things go um i think that's a team that can play with after that you know it's i mean at that point you're playing with house money regardless right yeah uh, <laughs> yes i mean because you're going to get the, the question you have is is whether or not you think michigan who i think a lot of us thought weren't necessarily into the tournament um that's kind of interesting to me that they not only got in but got in as an 11 seed yeah uh i thought there was a good chance they were going to be a play-in game frankly um but looking at Michigan, Tennessee, you know, the, the odds of an Ohio state, Michigan rematch uh, to me, aren't high, no. but, but, but it could happen. So you're saying there's a chance it could happen. I, I, how I, like, you know, I'm looking at this and, and I, you know, I typically pick a really big 10 heavy final four. Uh, Why do I, you do that? <laughs> Why? Well, you know, because we've been saying for years, the big 10 is the best conference in college basketball. We've been saying yeah. it for, for several years now. And then they crap the bed uh, and, and, and then there's this drought, you know, and tournament Tom Izzo is the only guy who gets it together. Uh, I think Purdue's the only team I have in my final four this year. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, where typically I would have probably been tempted to bring in a Wisconsin, maybe into the mix or right. might've been tempted to bring in an Iowa. I'm probably not giving Iowa enough love um frankly but i i don't know i just couldn't get them there when i filled out my bracket and and that's a good reminder friends if you haven't done so you should absolutely go and join the 11 warriors bracket challenge you can do that 11warriors.com the uh the instructions for how to do so are pinned toward the top of the page there it's your chance to win a 250 dollars gift card to the 11 warriors dry goods store so that right there uh is reason enough to go do it Okay. By the way, real quick, uh, Johnny's um, one hundred million dollar guarantee, you know, strategy. By the way, for this, and by the way, I, I tend to do fairly well. 
I not not that I'm good at this, but I I've got my method right, which is to do the usual kind of like upset heavy first couple rounds, particularly with the eleven sixes and the twelve fives and all that. And then once you get to the sweet sixteen, just go chalk, like That's straight chalk, chalk, homie, straight chalk, yep. homie, because. I heard this stat, I think it was on the radio, and it's something like, I think in the past, like, I can't remember what the exact you know date was, but it was like the past 20 or so years, um, uh, one seed has won the NCAA tournament, like, I think almost every time. like they, and, and not only that, but like the final fours are almost universally, you know, top two or three seeds. So there's just people, people, what happens is people will call an upset. And they'll get like, oh man, I don't know. They've got this dude, you know, Asmus or whatever. They'll get really hot and they'll they'll guide this team to the final four. That never happens. It never, <laughs> ever, ever happens. It does occasionally happen, but it never, for the purposes of filling out your bracket, happens. So don't rely on it. Make your just straight chalk after Sweet Sixteen, and you'll you'll be racking in the points. I promise, because it's never as fun or as cool as we hope that it will be right. Cause we all, we all want these massive amounts of uh, upsets and whatever. And the first few rounds give us that. And then it regresses back to the mean. And then everybody's like, Oh, okay. Well, I guess a number one seed one, and then it, it becomes less fun, but that happens every year. And I'm just telling people, like, if you're, you're filling out that bracket, Gonzaga, Baylor, Kansas, Arizona, that should be your final four. And uh, Gonzaga should not win because they never do. So anybody but them and the uh when you win your office pool or your friendly neighborhood whip yeah around, send me money give me money be sure to tip your favorite uh that's right podcast host for sure because he's given you the key to winning it all that's right uh all right so coming up um we will we will have some basketball games to talk about uh very very exciting and interesting and and our favorite villain of the college basketball season juan howard will will be there uh howard came back from his five game suspension for punching a wisconsin assistant formerly reinstated by the team and the big 10 uh mm-hmm. you know joined the the media for a press conference said he wasn't going to make any excuses immediately made <laughs> rafts right and rafts and rafts excuses <laughs> and uh yeah, I mean, got to get that man back in the tournament. What possibly could go wrong when he gets bounced in the first round of the NC2A tournament? Well, I think they're just happy that they're in the tournament, honestly, which they should be because I, they're they're a team that's super dysfunctional. Um, but, you know, beat Ohio State. So just want to point that out. Uh, <laughs> that You know, I don't know. I, I feel like Michigan as a school has started to turn to the dark side a little bit. And what I mean by that is they have for so long prided themselves in being, you know, the, the Michigan men and we hold these values up above winning and I don't know. That's always been true. I don't know. It's ever been true, but I think (laughs) Harbaugh flirting with the NFL shook them real hard because they're like, Oh my God, we just, you know, we made the, you know, college football playoff, right? Like we, we actually have a little bit of success here and they became so desperate to hold on to that, 
that they would let that guy essentially spend three weeks just dragging them through the mud right and like making them look like idiots because they didn't want to like lose that that sweet sweet taste of success and i think the same thing is with with john howard who did something incredibly stupid um really should not be coaching in the ncaa tournament whatever you think his his you know punishment should be he should not be you know coaching right now he should not be on the court at all um and i think you could argue that in a high pressure situation like march madness like a guy who just lost his temper and like you know smacked a dude uh, maybe you shouldn't be in the tournament uh, where it's a single elimination you know, situation. Um, Dude is a towering inferno of rage. What could yeah. possibly go wrong? Putting yeah. him and I don't even know. And, and honestly, I don't, I don't know that John, I don't think he's like some like unhinged, like nutcase, right? I don't think he's Fran. He threatened to but, kill. He threatened to kill Mark Turgeon a year he did, ago. He did. But uh, you know, <laughs> who among us, but anyway, Her- hyperbole for effect. I know. I know. Yeah. I'm just saying my point is I'm not painting him as like some, like horrific monster i'm just saying that john howard did something incredibly stupid shouldn't be coaching in the ncaa tournament um but michigan doesn't care <laughs> you know what i mean like they and, and they, they they can't care because they saw this guy who did a great job with their team right in past years and, and really up until this season looked like legit like a super really like a really good coach in a lot of ways um and I, I think they're just terrified of losing that. And so to me, it's just, it's ironic that a school and a program and a university and blah, 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 that's pride of themselves on doing things the quote unquote right way, which again, I'm still not convinced has ever been really the case, um, has <laughs> kind of regressed to this, like, they're, they're so like, I'm trying to think of the right word here. Um, they're just panicked at the idea that they won't have that that success that they briefly got so they're willing to give up whatever values they claim they have uh, i'm i'll admit i'm shocked that they're as as bad and i say that you know acknowledging that they beat ohio state yes uh I, you know i'm i'm shocked that they're down as much as they are for the reason you just mentioned i mean howard looked like you really had a great thing going and the talent they brought back you know i i thought this is going to be just wash, rinse, repeat for them. So their struggles this year have been very interesting um, to, to say the least. One team that has not been struggling to segue into some other Ohio state related action, Ohio state's uh, women's basketball team earned a number six seed to the NCAA tournament. If you're following both hoops teams, as you should, they're going to mm-hmm. face either Missouri state or Florida state in the first round. Uh, the other um, team that the one I should have led with here, frankly, was the women's hockey team advancing to the frozen four after a four to three double overtime win over Quinnipiac in their first ever home NCAA tournament game. Yeah, and again, take a several, pull on that nerds. I, I mean, that was, yeah, that was, uh, <laughs> anytime you're getting a team to the final four or the frozen four as it was, that's a good thing. Uh, but the women have just been fantastic yeah. this season. Uh, and, and they've got a shot to win it all. They do. Uh, obviously they have a 25% shot, but I mean, I think legitimately, <laughs> legitimately, they, this is a team that's really well constructed. We had some colleagues who attended the game uh, at the ice rink there on campus and said it was absolutely electric that the yeah. atmosphere was fantastic. Uh, I must admit that hockey is not a sport I follow closely because it confuses me, <laughs> not the goal of getting the little puck into the net. And I love going to live hockey games. Those mm-hmm. are 
extreme, some of the best live sports, but the rules of hockey, what is icing? I don't know uh, how the, the whole offsides thing. That was one of the first things I had to struggle to figure out when I was coaching my daughter's intramural soccer team or youth, mm-hmm. youth soccer team was determining offsides and soccer and hockey. It's very confusing. I like football offsides much better. Man cross line before ball move. He offsides. <laughs> you know, very, very simple. Why well, use many word when one, when few words work. <laughs> the men's lacrosse team also uh, had a pretty good weekend. If we're looking at other non-revenue sport beating number 10, Notre Dame uh the sophomore uh the softball team rather um threw a no hitter men's tennis beat number 15 texas i I mean sports you know at ohio state are pretty good generally but i i think it's worth acknowledging that while we spent the top of the program here lamenting the struggles of one of its revenue sports ohio state's non-revenue teams are kicking ass and taking names yes they're doing very well and people should definitely i mean shoot final frozen four is a big deal and uh you know i think that's I think that's something that people should be proud of and think is pretty cool. And, um, you know, I, the thing is, is like, it is unfortunate that those kind of sports really don't get a lot of attention unless they're at that level, but you know what, that's fine. Cause they're, they, like you said, they're doing incredibly well and, uh, we can go ahead and, and crow about them a little bit. They, the, the women have reached uh, back to the, the women's hockey team. They're speaking of the frozen four, 30 wins in a season for the first time in program history made the frozen four for the third time in five years. That's exceptional. Nice. Um, and, and we'll look for their first ever win in the frozen four to advance to the national championship game when they play Yale Friday at Penn state's Pagula ice arena at seven o'clock. So put that on your, your calendars. That will be on ESPN plus must watch television. Uh, pretty cool stuff. All right. We're going to talk about some more uh, sports news, but before we do that, let's, Let's uh, shift gears to our favorite segment of the program. Ask us anything. Good time Yay. to remind you that the dubcast is sponsored by the dry goods store at 11 warriors.com hats, t-shirts, stickers, all the, the merchandise for the discerning fan of sports or the finer things in life. You can find it all at dry goods.11warriors.com. And, and a reminder again, to take part in our bracket challenge, which you can do at 11 warriors.com. Click on the article to join the 11 warrior bracket challenge. The instructions are all there and your prize could be a $250 gift card to the dry goods store. Johnny, hey, what's buddy. in the mailbag? Uh, so we want to remind you that you can send us questions to the dubcast for ask us anything to uh dubcast D U B C A S T at 11 warriors.com. First one here is from Corey who, Let's us know that he watched a movie recently on Netflix called The Outpost, depicting the Battle of Kamdesh, in which two members of the army were awarded the Medal of Honor. Prior to the climactic battle, a group of soldiers were passing time by water waterboarding each other to see oh. who could last the longest. My questions are: one, which of you would last longer? Not me. And two, how long? <laughs> I am not made. I'm not. Look, I I would not. I would not handle interrogation or torture very well let's let's put it that way i would crack under pressure immediately um so definitely not me i'm I'm not i'm not made of that stuff yeah i i this is one of those things where as a manly man of the macho persuasion you want to say oh hell yeah i can do that and in reality uh about three seconds that's probably (laughs) which is about is about 2.9 seconds faster than me there's no (laughs) way in hell i'm sorry and, and, you know, that's part of the reason why uh, enhanced interrogation techniques are, are frowned upon because uh, you want the hurting to stop. And so 
you will yeah, sell it's literally your own torture, mother so. down. You will sell your own mother down the river, whether or not she did that or not. Did did that right, stuff yes, they're exactly. asking you about or not? <laughs> like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Mom was the one. Yeah, sit the FBI after her. she's bad. Get her, get her. Anybody, right. you know, just make yeah. just make the bad man stop. Torture doesn't work. It's bad. So yeah, don't. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, why we yeah. shouldn't do it. Yeah, um, that's, that's wild. They're sitting around and practicing. Yeah. Okay. Cool. <laughs> I haven't seen that movie, but just I, to see what it's like. I haven't seen that movie, but I mean, it, it legitimately, the other night we were watching Patton, which is one of my all-time favorite movies of any Fantastic genre, but especially. Um, and, and I know you, as a student of history, may have a more nuanced view of General Patton than the average watcher of the movie Patton. But I always said this: that the the skill and the singular passion and the talent of George C. Scott was such that mm. I, every time I watch that movie, I think unkind thoughts about General Eisenhower. <laughs> Fair or not, like sure. George C. Scott was, and this is a commentary about George C. Scott, not about General Eisenhower. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. I know such exactly a good, like you felt Patton's pain that he just absolutely couldn't, he couldn't fathom that he was not being tasked with leading the Normandy invasion. You know, he couldn't, yeah, he, yeah. he couldn't fathom sitting in sitting in uh you know england and and doing like you know misdirection maneuvers all that stuff yeah you know the the scene where you know he's in he's in the the they brought him into this this room with mirrored ceilings you know Mm -hmm. like uh yeah some illicit activity was certainly happening there and you know beetle smith comes in and just reads him the riot act like you know he's a kindergartner uh Mm -hmm. who won't quit pissing on the rug and (laughs) and it's like you know the man the man was a genius. He was literally a genius. And, and yet, you know, he was his own biggest enemy. Of course, if you read, yeah. re, you, you read the, as I say, the, the more nuanced uh, views of the historical record, but George C. Scott was so good in that film that like, I watched the movie and I feel Patton's pain, even though I know as Paul Harvey would say the rest of the story. Mm-hmm. And, and I just, every time I'm like, God, how are you doing this to it? You know, Oh man, the whole incident <laughs> where, you know, where he slaps the soldier with his glove or whatnot uh-huh. for that what was a huge would, scandal. It was, you know, what, what today we would recognize as PTSD or actually the, I was reading an article, um, yep. I guess the one, because this happened twice, but the one soldier actually had malaria and they just hadn't mm-hmm. figured it out yet. He had malaria and that was his mm-hmm. problem. Wasn't even necessarily that he was quote unquote shell shocked as we call but, it you know, at the time. But just real quick on that, I, I've always found it really interesting because you're right about all those details. But what I find really interesting is I think because of how people reacted to because Patton was a popular figure in a lot of yeah, ways. Right. Um, I think people understood PTSD and what shell shock actually was. And, you know, th- I don't think. You know, we kind of talk about this stuff like, well, in retrospect, you know, it was really bad. I think people understood the implications at the time about what was going on. Yeah, because it was a big scandal. It was a big scandal. And people had seen veterans come back from World War One completely shell shocked. They had seen their friends and family members and even themselves come back from World War Two completely shell shocked. I think people knew what was happening. And, and that's that to me is one of the more interesting parts of the patent story. And to me, kind of like shows how different in a lot of ways that dude actually was for better or for worse um and and i think it's really fascinating too because you get the sense at at times from reading about Patton that he really did care about his men but it was in a but it was in a a sort of perverse sort of way that he could he could do that you know he could because part of the reason he was so incensed by this this soldier sitting here who didn't have any 
you know, outwardly visible physical wounds. And he's sitting here with guys that's lost that, you know, he's lost a leg and this guy's, mm -hmm. you know, has, has taken uh shrapnel to the chest and could have died. And, you know, he's got a big gaping hole in his, so, so he, he cared so much about those guys who had the obvious physical, you know, wounds and whatnot, that this, this other guy was sitting here was an affront to him. Like it was a really interesting and, and sort of warped way that he viewed you know, his relationship to men. There's a great scene in there where Omar Bradley, you know, they're talking about the March to Messina and mm -hmm. they've, they've, they've won in essence, and they're getting ready to go to Messina and Patton's getting in the Jeep and he's going to go review the troops or whatever he's going to do. And, and he tells Bradley, you know, to come along and Bradley says, no, I, you know, he asked me about the casualties. He said, you've seen the casualty report and he's wanting to basically poke Patton to say, you know, look, a lot of guys died for this right. move that I told you we shouldn't make. And Patton makes the argument, and it's a reasonable one, that how many more would have died if we didn't do this, if they were sitting mm -hmm. back there getting shelled to hell by the Germans or, you know, the bombers or whatever it happened to be. And it's a really interesting dichotomy between, you know, how two different men in the same profession could could view the lives of the men under their charge. It's it, it's just a, the whole movie's Carl Malden was brilliant as Omar Bradley. Mm -hmm. um, it kind of, you know what, to me, it's almost like the uh, like a the american lawrence of arabia in a lot oh of it ways. is it, yeah that's a great parallel absolutely great parallel just in terms of like the central figures and, and kind of their very odd proclivities just in general as human beings and and kind of how they've like they wrote their own mythology in a lot of ways um well, well and, i mean in the case of, of, in the case really... of lawrence of arabia literally wrote his own mythology yeah, uh, yeah no kidding but um and the, and the patent thing's really interesting because you hear you have this guy who's you know he's a devout he's a devout christian devout believer mm -hmm. and also absolutely 100 believed in reincarnation he absolutely believed yeah he'd been yeah alexander the great or <laughs> caesar did. or whomever you know he totally <laughs> believed. it's like in these two you know does not compute these two things don't go together but yeah. you know anyway i i i find him interesting i find macarthur interesting you know again another guy who you know probably not somebody that you you would ever want to be best friends with because it's kind of a jerk i have i have much less sympathy for macarthur than i do for yeah Pat i knew I, I had to mention macarthur because i knew i'd wide you up there's a vast up. difference between being like a ridiculously monomaniacal like old school will win at any cost guy and someone who literally doesn't care if he starts world war three that that's <laughs> a slight difference between the two um uh, and, who, uh, and who literally would like be comfortable with a military coup so that's you know slight difference i guess someone who I'm, respects the chain of command versus somebody who doesn't but i'm glad for uh for the question because uh yeah i just watched Patton the other night great great film kind of has me in a move to watch some more some more classic war films yeah. of, of of yesteryear because there there are some great ones in the genre even for such a you know terrible topic well, this next one here, Andy, is for you specifically. This is from Sarah. And uh, this question is for Andy from a fellow AgCom alumni. Oh, nice. Yeah. Best party place, AGR, AGS, or the <laughs> Dairy House. <laughs> oh, my God. I don't great. know why that's funny. But oh, that's great. I, I hope you explain. So now she goes on to say, <laughs> she goes on to say, as a Neil Avenue girl, the Dairy House will always be my favorite. But just curious about your thoughts on this important oh, topic. So, so hi, Sarah. Thank you for writing in. This makes my day. Um, so yeah, dude, Dairy House is legendary. So AGR and AGS, if you hadn't figured out our fraternities. And yeah, so on, on campus at Ohio State, there are a handful of, of agricultural specific uh, fraternities and sororities. So AGR, the men of Alpha Gamma Rho, AGS, Alpha Gamma Sigma, uh, DTS would be an ag fraternity. And, and at the time when I was a student, it was, uh, it was Alpha Tau Zeta. Now it's uh, the men of Farmhouse. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so it would be the four the fraternities. You had um, uh, ASU and Sigma Alpha were were the ag sororities at the time I was an undergrad. And if I've missed anyone, God help me, and I'm sorry. Uh, so. <laughs> AGR, I actually DJed a couple parties at AGR, uh, and I must admit I was not a member of any fraternity, so so I can't uh, can't claim any bias there because I, I never did pledge. Uh, if I had, probably would have been ATZ just because that's at the time, and these things tended to be a little cyclical, I think, over the years. At the time I was there, AGR was what we would call the steer jocks. So a lot of the, a lot of the animal science guys, um, a lot of guys who were big in the, in the livestock exhibition arena, uh, steer jockeys, um, AGS, uh, a lot of times were more, they like the ag econ guys, um, mm-hmm. maybe a- a- ag business guys, uh, DTS, I think had a lot of like Horton crop science guys when I were there, um, and, and farmhouse ATZ at the time was more like the ag education and ag com guys. So that's probably where I would have been. Cause those were most of my, my closer associates and, and classmates were, were probably ATZ guys. Um, but I DJed, um, some AGR parties and the, the, um, one, uh, yeah, maybe I can't tell that story. Um, a lot of <laughs> a lot of really good friends at AGS, so I went to both AGS and AGR parties. But Dairy House is legendary. I got to give props to uh, I got to give props to Dairy House because fraternity party you have a built-in clientele, right? So sure. you you have a built-in audience. But Dairy House built its own brand. Um, Dairy House is a house on Neal Avenue, and it went on as Dairy House for many, many, many years. I think before I was there and after um legendary parties i don't know if i ever dj'd a party at dairy house or not i'd i'd really have to think about that i'm not sure i did i dj'd a lot of parties on campus over the years both both fraternity sorority and just random house parties um over the years that was kind of the way i paid for beer and books was as a mobile dj so some great some great parties there but sarah i'll give the nod out of respect for neil avenue to dairy house (laughs) Dairy, I just love the term dairy house. I just think that's that's sick. I appreciate that quite a bit. I, I, you know, I don't know. I can't remember how many people lived in in dairy house. You know, I mean, it was just it, it was a you know a private uh, student you know rental. Um, but I can't remember how many like actual residents were there. But it was a big house. I mean, I would say there were at least God, I don't even want to venture a guess how many people lived there at one time. But it was a big house. Oh, I got great parties. I got to say, I've got a certain image in mind when I think of the term "quote unquote" dairy house, and I don't want it to be like altered in any way because it's, okay. it's just, you know what I mean. Like I'm thinking of, like a cow just hanging out, guys. Like you know, instead of doing like keg stands, they like drink straight from the udder. Oh no, there um, were a lot you know. of keg stands. <laughs> well, farm, again, farm kids. Don't disabuse me of the notion that we're just like you know suckling from an, a, a cow's teeth. That's, just that's really... just remember this, Johnny. The classic. The classic saying, you know, rain makes corn, corn makes whiskey. You know, that's, that's <laughs> just the thing you got to remember. Beer and distilled spirits are agricultural products. There you go. Uh, all right. So our last question here is from, from our good friend, Alvin, who wants to know, quite simply, if you had a time machine, what historical mystery would you like to solve? Oh, wow. Um, I like the one where the guy jumped out of the airplane with the money. Oh, D.B. Cooper? Yeah, D.B. Cooper. Great like, answer. I mean, I I remember, I think, watching like an Unsolved Mysteries with Robert Stack. Did you ever watch that when you were a kid? Yeah, I did. Yeah, I loved the hell out of me. Oh, it was. Was it not scary? It was terrifying because of the way he presents stuff. It was like this stuff. It's like this stuff is unknown. And if anybody ever finds out, the universe will fold in upon itself and we'll all die. His his voice, his demeanor. uh, Robert Stack was the man. And and like, I, I have to admit, I watched 
most of the Friday the 13th and Nightmare on Elm Street movie series <laughs> at my babysitter. Tales of the Crypt, by the way, is not scary at all. Tales of the Script was hilarious. It was I, one of the funniest shows on television. But but I mean, I, I Friday the 13th, I want to say, uh, or no, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street, like the third one, there's this one scene where, you know, this, the, they're they're in the nightmare thing and the, like the chick's tongue like becomes projectile <laughs> and like she ties the guy to the bed with like tongue projectiles. Yeah. Like there's some freaky stuff that happened in the nightmare on elm street series but i never had nightmares about those but robert stack and unsolved yeah, mysteries scared the piss out of me sometimes well, but the one the one they did i swear that's where i first learned about db cooper was probably watching unsolved mysteries and i just thought wow that's amazing how how did he pull it off and how has this never mm-hmm. been solved uh yeah that'd well, been a, that'd be a wild one to go figure out my one of my favorite parts about the db cooper thing is how a huge chunk of that money was found years later right in that riverbed but only part of the cash so it's like and that's a real thing that happened that's not like some you know legend of the the myth or whatever that some kid was just hanging out in the oregon or washington wilderness or whatever saw this you know plastic bag sticking out of riverbank it's like oh yeah it's part of the money that he took so nobody knows what happened to D.B. Cooper, really. I mean, he jumped out in some pretty terrible weather. Chances are pretty likely that the dude just died when he bounced out of the airplane. But I, I don't know, man. It, it is a really, like, it's a funny story in a lot of ways. It's an entertaining story in a lot of ways. Um, I, I'm a big fan of that one myself. My answer to this, the interesting thing is, so I've got a, you know, a degree in history and, um, you know, I, I taught for a long time and all that stuff. But I don't I don't love proverbial like what ifs of history. I don't, I don't really like the, you know, to speculate on the unknown because like history is is really kind of based. If you're doing a study of history, it's not like it's not supposed to be speculative. Right. You're what you're really trying to do is is create the most educated um, interpretation based on the information available. And that's going to obviously involve a lot of uh, of your own, you know, personal interpretation of what you're seeing but the point is though is that like a lot of people look at these mysteries that really aren't mysteries right like one of the things with like the roanoke colony for example people talk about that like what happened to them well they probably just left (laughs) like we don't really know but we could speculate all kinds of crazy things but the truth of the matter is based on the information that we have and where they were and and kind of like the available evidence eh, they probably just pieced out they're like okay this isn't working out and some of them probably went to some other place and died and some other you know some other people probably went and integrated with you know american indian tribes that were nearby um but to me that's not that's not something that elicits this big wonder in me because that's it's just a you know something that historians need to try to collect more evidence to find out more of the truth the stuff that i find really interesting are artifacts that can't be explained yeah right by traditional means because really history like builds upon itself right you're always adding more information and trying to get more perspectives and refine what you know but there are some things that exist that we haven't been able to do that. <laughs> and that doesn't necessarily mean that these, these artifacts or things are all that important uh, or don't have a reasonable or relatively mundane explanation. So that we haven't gotten there yet. And that's what's really fascinating to me. So the Voynich manuscript, for example, is this 15th century like manuscript um, that's it's basically like a cipher. It's this coded language. And if you've never, do you know what I'm talking about, Andy? Have you ever seen this thing? I don't know if I have. It's super weird. 
And essentially it, it's been carbon dated to the 15th century. So it's not like the Shroud of Turin where, you know, people yeah. claim it's the Shroud of Jesus and it was, yeah. it's really from the you know medieval <laughs> right. period. Um, this is legitimately from the 15th century. It's incredibly odd. Uh, it's, it's written entirely in this coded language that nobody has been able to decipher. Um, and again, we're talking about using all the knowledge of all linguists and you know historians and archaeologists and anthropologists up until now, and we still can't figure this thing out. Um, and it's got a lot, it, 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 like, it reads like one of those field journals, right, where you've yeah. got like, you know, pictures of flowers and, you know, flora and fauna and, you know, how humans work and muscle groups and blah 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 except it's like completely alien like there are all these like invented animals and very strange drawings and weird beings that are in it and it reads like it's really funny it reads like somebody's goofy like fan fiction or something from like you know the live journal era where people were just like yeah this is my uh, unicorn uh, you know <laughs> dragon angel hybrid it's uh, it's sonic the uh, sonic the angel hedgehog like it's just it's super weird um and nobody really knows anything about the author or the actual script which people can't read i want to emphasize this this thing is extremely long and nobody can read any of it um, so stuff like that, I find really fascinating because the truth is, it was probably just, you know, the work of some incredibly dedicated nutcase, but I love that it still elicits that much mystery hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years into the future. I think that's awesome. I love that. We should all be so lucky that we create something so unbelievably strange and obtuse that people hundreds of years in the future are going like, what the hell is this? Like that's, that's what we all should strive for. So I love stuff like that. And I, I kind of hope that the Voynich manuscript is never really solved. Honestly, I, I hope we, I hope that mystery stays alive because the world needs that. I love that. I'm going to look this up after the show. That sounds it's amazing. a lot of fun. It, it seriously. And, and actually I was just looking at this, uh, a, uh, Spanish publishing company won the right to produce copies of it. So more and more people will be able to have access to it and you can take a look at it and it's, it's wild, man. There's a lot of goofy, weird stuff in that thing. Um, and again, nobody knows really what it is. And I love it. That's 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 what I, I I think that's great. Good for it. And good good for whoever made it. Because again, they're confounding people, have been confounding people for hundreds of years now. And you know, that's that's fantastic. So that's ask us anything for this week. Thanks for sending that in. Uh, I really appreciate it. And we got to get to have a fun little chat about Patton, the Voynich manuscript, all guys, and, and Dairy House. And Dairy House. I, yeah. Very, I mean, that's very a trifecta productive right ask there. us anything. The, uh, the, the favorite segment of the show every week. And uh, you, the listeners, really hit it out of the park. So thanks. Uh, send those questions in. Please do so. Uh, let's wrap this thing up with a couple topics. One, one serious, one less so. Um, big news this week on the football side of things. We spent most of the time talking about basketball and and Ohio's suite of non-revenue sports, but football is the straw that stirs the drink. Ohio State offensive lineman Harry Miller announced his retirement um, from football this week, and he, and he did so in a really touching, vulnerable, heartfelt way, sharing his struggles with, with mental health. Um, the five-star recruit out of the class of 2019 was expected to be the team's starting center. Uh, didn't happen that way in his Twitter release statement. He revealed that he had had suicidal thoughts before last season, 
but got the support he needed from Ohio State and specifically signaling singling out head coach Ryan Day and two members of the team's sports psychology and wellness staff. Uh, Miller said he's going to remain around the football program, even though he's no longer playing. So, you know, the most obvious thing to say is, is, you know, one wishes Miller uh, well with, with dealing with his own mental health. That's obviously uh, number one thing. Um, number two, good on him for being open and transparent about that because the, the number of people who in our society um, all, all but certainly struggle with similar related challenges and never say anything, uh, mm-hmm. particularly, particularly big, strong men, right? Like we're, we're not supposed to be vulnerable and, and talk about our problems. That's one of those things that, um, you know, the, the phrase suffer in silence, uh, yeah. very much applies to, to men, um, in particular and it, to all of us, this is not, but just speaking as, um, somebody who was, you know, you're raised in sort of that, you know, big, tough, strong environment, you know, men don't cry, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So good on that. That was what I took on this in particular was that good on Harry Miller for speaking up, speaking out, sharing his own struggles. May, may it help others, um, who are, who are like that. Am I, am am I hitting that on the head? Yeah, I think so. I mean, it's, it's a difficult thing to talk about and, you know, Look, I was, you know, a mandated reporter for a long time and did deal with students, you know, in, in just events where this kind of thing would come up and in various ways, you know, like how it affected them or their families or all kinds of things. And it's it's incredibly personal and difficult um, in a lot of ways to talk about just because of the stigma that's around it. Um, and not everybody. I mean, the thing is, you know, I I'm so incredibly impressed by Harry Miller and, and his ability to talk about this. It should be in no way, you know, means in no way am I trying to imply that like, if you don't speak up or whatever, like that's a sign of weakness or, oh, or anything no, like no. that. But the fact that he did say that is I think really valuable to people because everybody, I think on some level, um, you know, is, is touched by, depression or just difficult times in their life where they think that they don't have support and it's important for people you know when they can um to speak up and in the way that harry miller did so i think that's really incredible that he did um and and to talk about how even you know outwardly some people might be like okay this dude's on the ohio state football team he's got a 4.0 as an engineer obviously incredibly intelligent uh you know what could he have to be upset about um I just, I don't know. I, I, I got to give him a lot of credit for being able to, to talk about that and, and hopefully, you know, encourage and inspire some other people to get help if they need it. Because even in that environment, I mean, you had a head coach and Ryan day who his own life obviously was touched by uh, suicide and, and, you know, something where he uh, struggled with a lot of that, um, you know, as, you know, a son of someone, um, you know, who, who went through it. And um, I just think, Overall, it speaks well of Harry Miller. It speaks well of Ohio State and how they handled the situation, which I think they did a great job at making sure that they were like immediately responsive to somebody saying, you know, that I need this kind of help. Um, and, you know, I also want to, you know, thank Harry Miller for for making sure that, you know, uh, the, he, he ends his he ends his um, uh, kind of retirement letter by saying there's help always. They included the uh, National Suicide uh, Helpline uh, 1-800-273-8255. Um, and that's, people need to know that there is help and that people do care. And um, I'm glad that things were handled the way they were for him and at Ohio State, especially 
when there's so many instances of that not being handled well or people not being taken seriously. Um, so that's, that's good. That's good to hear. And that should be, yes, it's the standard and, and that's what you expect. Uh, but I think also when things go right and um, people do the right things that we should congratulate them and, and crow about it because that, that should be the standard and we should expect that every time. Um, so I'm glad, I'm glad he seems to be doing better and I'm glad Ohio state handled things the way they should have. And the, I think the underlying uh, thing here is that by, by talking about it and, and normalizing the conversation and in removing the stigma, as you rightly pointed out earlier, uh, the, this is a great example of it, right? Because Ryan Day mm -hmm. has created the culture. He's been very open about his own experiences with, mm -hmm. um, with, with mental health and, and how it's touched his life from a very young age and, uh, what he and his wife, Nina have set up in terms of, um, charitable funds at, right, with honor sleeves university, and, yep. you know, they've, they've really done the work. And so you, you like to think that maybe that's part of the reason why, uh, Harry Miller felt he could come forward and speak up yeah. and, and, you know, get the help that, uh, he needed it and do what he needed to do and not put football first. So, you know, by, by having those conversations and, um, uh, and it seemed to me like the response, uh, from people on online, which can often be a very toxic place and bad for your mm -hmm. mental health was, was largely very positive. And, um, and, and that's, that's fantastic. Yep. Uh, we'll finish this thing up on a lighthearted note. So uh, controversial, broadcaster joe buck is uh trading teams as it were and be taking his talents uh elsewhere and the reason that i bring this up is because apparently part of the deal to get joe buck from fox to espn might involve potentially an ohio state football game going from the worldwide leader to fox isn't it wild that we're at the stage where uh, you know, even broadcasters are getting swapped. We're not just talking about trading, you know, a quarterback for uh, two second round picks and a player to be named later, but we've got now sportscasters <laughs> being traded for a package of goods and rights to a game. Is this a wild business or what? Yeah. I mean, yes, it was denied by, uh, by ESPN you know, PR, no way. Man. Yeah, but do you trust ESPN? No, PR? I don't. I mean, no, I don't. On. Come on, come on. I do not. And uh, I choose to believe the uh, the funnier option. So that's, that's, <laughs> I don't, I mean, it's, I wouldn't be shocked. I don't know that it's necessarily true, uh, but it, you know, it, it is, I think, as you said, it's indicative of how goofy things are right now um, and, and what all, uh, what else going on with sports so you know <laughs> joe, it's joe buck gets traded for ohio state versus notre dame i'm going to choose to believe that story yeah, how about I, that? I, I want that to happen uh and and you know the interesting thing there if that does happen i mean just further solidifying the marriage between fox and the big 10 and, oh sure yeah in general because uh, that would absolutely become a, a big nooner um yes yeah, wild time so we'll we'll see if that actually comes to light uh, if it happens or, or not, or if ESPN PR was being legit and it was a real <laughs> story, either way, we'll talk more about the business of sports, the sports of business, the big tens performance in the NCAA basketball tournament and all things related to Ohio state fandom on the next episode. Until then I'm Andy. I'm Johnny. Thanks for joining us on the 11 dubcast.